Who are they? How did they get here and where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojourner Podcast. The Sojourner Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today, we're joined in the Sojourner podcast by 1993 Johnson University, Tennessee graduate, Lee Faust. Lee, welcome to the Sojourner podcast. Thank you, Tyson. I'm looking forward to this. I've spent some time kind of reflecting, and it's been a, it's been a lot of fun, and we haven't even started yet. It's <laughs> great. I'm looking forward to this as well. It's going to be good to get to know you better and, uh, of course, to uh, help those that you were in school with kind of catch up with Lee Faust. So, uh, to get started, Lee, would you mind giving a general introduction of yourself to the podcast listeners? Absolutely. I'm in Nicholasville, Kentucky. We call it the promised land. That's central Kentucky on the south side of Lexington, if you will. And I'm at Jessman Christian Church. We came about three years ago, right as COVID was hitting, which has been quite the journey. I am married to Johnny Campbell Faust of 31 years, my bride. And then we have a daughter, Jessica, who's a, a nurse at UC in uh, Cincinnati. And she gave us our first grandson, Knox, who's changed our world. And then my son, Benjamin, and, and his wife, Caitlin, both Johnson alumni also. He's a worship pastor up in the north side of Indianapolis at New Hope Christian Church. And they gave us our second grandson, Jack. And so we are blessed. I love it. That sounds great. Now, you said you are married to... Miss Johnny Campbell Faust. Johnny Campbell is a name that's Campbell. been heard around Johnson a few times, I would imagine. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And and that's what I'm thinking is there is a relation to a certain famous Mr. L.D. Campbell there, is there not? Absolutely. L.D. has been a trustee at the college. In fact, he signed my diploma, Tyson. He probably signed your diploma. He signed <laughs> yeah. my grand or uh, my son, Benjamin. He signed his diploma. So he was there for 30 some odd years uh, working with Johnson closely in partnership. He's yeah. kind of uh, been around for a while. We're glad for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. Well, thank you for that. And uh, that's cool. Cool to hear you have two grandchildren. I just welcomed my first granddaughter. <laughs> so it's like, wow, that that's just such a neat feeling. It's a game changer for sure. Yes, it is. Well, to get started, Lee, on your uh, on your journey, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Where were you raised? Were you raised in a Christian family? What was uh, what was early faith journey like for you? Well, I tell people now, I'm a preacher. My daddy's a preacher. LD's a preacher. My son's got his preaching degree from Johnson, and both of my brother-in-laws are uh, ordained ministers and have been in located ministry. So I, I tell people we've kind of fallen out of the Levite tribe somehow. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I was not raised as a preacher's kid, however. My dad uh, had kind of a midlife epiphany and uh, left to the marketplace. 
and actually was ordained the year after I was ordained. So I tell him he's been riding my coattails because I've been (laughs) in the ministry longer than him. But uh, I was I was raised in central Kentucky, Woodford County or Versailles, Kentucky. And when we were six or seven, my twin brother and I went to the door. Somebody had knocked and it was the Avon lady. And at that time, my family was not going to church. My mom and dad, Mike and Ricky Faust, both had grown up in the church, but kind of gotten out of the habit and, and out of the way. And the Avon lady said, I bet those boys would love to go to vacation Bible school with me. And back in the 70s, I guess people were willing to put their kids in the car with the Avon lady and let them take, <laughs> take them to church. But it yep. just so happened that that Joe Bob and uh, Wilma Grider, the, the Avon lady, just happened to be the preacher's wife <laughs> at Woodford Christian Church there in Versailles. And there was really no looking back. We we started going to church. My mom and dad thought, well, we better get these boys. And my older sister, Kim, and my younger sister, Micah. Micah also is an alumni from Johnson, by the way, my sister. And uh, we started going to church and never looked back. And we were really blessed. You know, it was kind of those, I had the drug problem. I was drugged to Sunday school, drugged to church, <laughs> drugged to Sunday night, drugged to Wednesday night. And if the preacher showed up on Tuesday to wash the windows, we faithfully filled our pew and we were we were there and we loved it. My my pastor growing up was was Gary Black. And so uh, we were typical, never missed and loved it and really spoiled by great ministers and youth ministers when I was 10 years old, the smartest kid in my Sunday school class was uh, Cliff Clasby. The, the name even sounds smart, Cliff Clasby. <laughs> and he decided he was getting baptized. And so on Mother's Day, May of 1981, if Cliff Clasby is getting baptized, so was I. And, and I did. My twin brother didn't want to follow in my steps there. So he waited till Father's Day and he got baptized in June of 81 <laughs> to follow there. But uh, really, really loved loved growing up in the youth group. In fact, the whole reason I'm in ministry is because I had such a, a great church family with Gary Black as my preacher. A name you may have heard before is David Empson, my first youth minister. Mm-hmm. He's now the director for ICOM and has been with ICOM, International Conference on Missions, for a long time. He he was the one who sent me on my first mission trip to Mexico and taught me how to play spoons and uh, who Amy Grant and and uh, Striper and uh, Sandy Patty and all those early Christian music people were. And what about uh, Petra? Come on. Yeah, Petra. I just I'm too <laughs> old to remember them all anymore. But and then he was from Indiana originally, so he moved back to Indiana to do some youth ministry there. And then we had uh, my second youth minister was Mike Rohatch. Well, he happens to be a JBC alumni, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I found out that, that he got paid to do what he was doing. And uh, that's true. I remember asking, and I was shocked. I'm like, hey, if you can get paid to do this, sign me up. <laughs> and uh, he would take us to Johnson for different retreats and conferences, or we'd stay in Gatlinburg. And that's that's kind of my how I was raised in a Christian home with great people. Probably one of the most memorable was a, a youth sponsor by the name of Doug Cox. And he would take us to the gorge and camping and backpacking. And he just really invested specifically in junior high boys uh, and youth group. He he uh, spent a lot of time with us and we would do youth group at his house and uh, just a great influence on my life. But I've been really blessed with men like that. Uh, they were discipling me and I didn't know it. 
And to be honest, I don't know if they knew they were discipling me, but, <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. How old were you when uh, the Avon lady knocked on the door? And mm-hmm. then how old were you when uh, you gave your life to Christ? You said you were baptized in May of 81. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. We were six or seven when the Avon lady, when Wilma Grider, Joe, Bob and Wilma, uh, started taking us to vacation Bible school. And then uh, I was 10 when uh, Cliff Clasby said we should all get baptized, and I did. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was 14 when I took my first mission trip. Uh, David Empson kind of helped set that up right before mm-hmm. he left. And actually, it was Doug Cox, my youth sponsor, who took me actually on that trip. Oh, yeah. With uh, Valerie Botkin, who's also now Valerie Parkey. She's a J- JBC alumni. And uh, Bud Owens, JVC alumni, all from Woodford County, Woodford Christian Church. That's also the same time I was 14 uh, that I decided I was going to go into ministry. I knew exactly. As soon as I found out I could do youth ministry for a living, I knew I was in. (laughs) And I was already aggressively serving in children's ministry, in church camp. And back then we had president of the youth group that I was and you know, all of those things. I mean, we were in deep. We we drank the Kool-Aid. We were, we were convinced. <laughs> so you were baptized at 10 then. Was your faith firm at that time? Or was there a time after that that you really latched on to, yeah, this is the this is my faith and not my family's faith? Probably. And I don't know if this is sad to say or not, but but I'll say it anyway. I remember Gary Black, who... Once I went to Johnson, he went to Southland with Wayne Smith at Southland and has been there ever since. He's probably the oldest standing member at Southland Christian Church, which is on in the, it's actually in Nicholasville on the south side of Lexington. And a lot of people in our brotherhood would know Wayne Smith and Bob Russell contemporaries uh-huh. there. Uh-huh. I don't know if, how I asked the question, but I basically said something like, I don't, I'm not sure if I really understand all of this. And Gary Black said, Lee, I don't understand how electricity works, but I'm not going to sit in the dark until I do. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, I want access to the power source. And so I was baptized. It was a journey working out, you know, my faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember the first time I was asked to pray publicly was on a New Year's Eve. It was all church. And you, you prayed in at midnight. I don't think anybody ever does this anymore. But at midnight, everybody stops playing games when we all went to the sanctuary. And we circled up around the, the whole sanctuary there at Woodford Christian. And then we held hands and we prayed around the circle. And my youth minister said, Lee, you're the president of the youth group. You need to represent. And you, you say the prayers for our youth group. And I remember that's the first time I prayed publicly. And then uh, Gary Black, my preacher, asked me to do a church picnic and I don't think people do that anymore but it was a church picnic and we had uh, a devotional and I remember I still have the notes handwritten notes when I was 14 I did a devotion called don't worry be happy and I don't know (laughs) how many of our listeners remember the song but I had all my buddies dress up in do rags and a big boom box on their shoulder and they came lip syncing that song don't worry be happy into the picnic pavilion and I'm sure the old people of the church probably thought I was out of my mind, but uh, that was my very first public 
devotional teaching, whatever. Uh, so I, I remember these things vividly. <laughs> I love it. It must have been traumatic for you to remember your first prayer was at this occasion. Oh, oh yeah, I was on the spot. And I'll tell you, I'll say, I'll say one more thing, and then we can move on with whatever you have. But I also remember my first youth ministry, and I know we're going to talk about churches and ministries here in a minute. But uh, I remember getting a book entitled "How to Be a Christian." without being religious. And that was probably one of the most significant aha moments where I I really knew that my faith was my own. And I like, that's what I said earlier. I don't know if it's sad to say or not, but I was almost, I was finished with Johnson and moving on into youth ministry before I had the aha moment that there is a difference between religion and a lifestyle of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And of course I was already living a lifestyle of Christianity. I just hadn't had the aha moment of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And that's probably true for a lot of us in our faith. And a lot of times it's not until we look back, did did we see how God was organizing things and teaching us and growing us and helping us to learn. And so I'm a slow learner. I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> uh, when I read that book, Franz Rittenauer, I think, wrote that book back in the 70s. Uh, but I re- I remember learning and understanding the difference between religion and Christianity. And uh, that was kind of an aha moment for me in my mm-hmm. faith. So you come to Johnson. Uh, you came to study youth ministry because, hey, you can get paid to do what this guy was <laughs> exactly doing. Exactly right. <laughs> I never in my wildest dream ever even thought once about preaching. It wasn't an interest. Really? Never even considered myself in that vein. It's like I just knew I was going to do youth ministry forever. So you were you, you came on the youth ministry program, not the slash mm-hmm. program, the youth ministry program. They didn't even have the slash program okay. when I started. It was Linda Smith. If you know mm-hmm. Linda and Steve Smith, they had been staples there, and Linda was overseeing the youth ministry program at that time, and and that's all I knew. We did have to take um, some homiletics. Or all, all the all the all the guys had to take that and congregational fly swatting. That was a mandatory class to take <laughs> congregational song leading with Donnie Trenum. We fly drove him swat. crazy because we didn't want to take the class. And I'm not musically inclined, but it was a mandatory class. They assumed that all men coming on campus would eventually preach. And they're right, maybe to some degree. So then we all had to, even on the youth ministry program, we all had to take preaching classes mm-hmm. and we had to take congregational fly swat. <laughs> Never make Donnie so mad. I shouldn't probably tell this story, but I remember one time we were, me and John Parkey and Paul Byers and a, a Paul Steiner, Chuck Bowers. I mean, there was a whole bunch of us. <laughs> and we were on the back row in Donnie Trim's class and we were either talking or falling asleep because it was like a 7.30, 7 a.m. class. Mm-hmm. And he launched a piece of chalk over our heads against the wall behind us and got so mad because we weren't taking it serious. And he stomped, he stomped out of the class. He was so mad. <laughs> We just all looked at each other stunned like, now, what do we do? And someone said, well, you give a professor 10 minutes and then you get to go. <laughs> That's a true story. Oh, merciful heavens, Lee Faust. I know. It, it was a blast. <laughs> it's great. I've never heard that, though, that that description of congregational fly swat. And it's like, um, oh, yeah, I get that. <laughs> oh, my word. Because I'm not musically inclined and have no rhythm. It was terrible for me. But to pass the class, you had to stand up in front of the whole class and, and count your many blessings. It's mm. fun. To set the context, for those who do not know, Johnson did have a slash program. Well, still does have a slash program where it's at the time that we started the slash program, it was 
it was youth ministry slash preaching. So it kind of prepared people for both, but now it's like congregational leadership or church leadership and youth ministry or something like that. So still slashing, it's just a little bit different, but yeah. Okay. So that's great. You came in on the youth ministry program and did you write it out on the youth ministry program? Did you shift at some point within? That's it. I just knew that's what I was doing. I never questioned it, never changed my major laser-like focus. Then let's talk a little bit about your time here at Johnson. What was the experience like for you socially, academically, spiritually? You know, give me some of those key moments, highlights, uh, things that stand out for you. Yeah, I'll I'll try to walk through uh, some of those subject matters, but the most important thing that ever happened to me was uh, the day we drove on campus. My mom and dad, back then there was not minivans, no such thing. They were station wagons. And my dad got a company car at work there and he got a station wagon. They're like, Mike, if you got a free car from work, a company car, why in the world would you get a station wagon? Well, there was six, six of us in our family. That's, you know, that's what you had to drive. So we pulled on the campus, and that would have been in 1989, and we were driving a 1984 Ford Country Squire station wagon with wood panels, <laughs> and uh, they loaded loaded me up, and we all came to Johnson and dropped me off. I remember them kind of pulling away, almost a little teary-eyed, like, oh, no, what am I going to do now? And uh, we went to freshman orientation. At that time, only freshmen were on campus, and my roommate, Bud Owens, and I had decided we're going to go down to the cafeteria for freshman orientation, pick out the best looking freshman girls on campus before the upperclassmen get here. <laughs> and uh, so we went down to the old cafeteria and uh, we were sitting in there and two, two girls walked in and there was a tall one and a short one. I said, bud, I'll take the tall one. You take the short one. And the tall one was Johnny Campbell. And the short one was her, her best friend from, First Church of Christ in Florence, Kentucky, Julie Platt. And so Johnny Campbell and Julie Platt walked in and we kind of stalked them. And when we went to the gym for orientation, where they would kind of talk through all the rules and regulations, we sat right behind, right in front of them. And basically we entertained them and cracked jokes the whole time. And I had back then a very deep Southern drawl, more so than I do today. And they were from Florence, Northern Kentucky, almost Cincinnati. And so they just thought it was funny because we were two hilljacks <laughs> from central Kentucky, from Woodford County with us. And so we just, we cracked jokes and entertained them. And the rest of it's history. I think I chased Johnny for about a month and we started dating in September of 89. We got there in August and started dating in September. She was 17 and I was 18. So we dated for a year. And then we got married when she was 19 and I was 20 at the end of my sophomore year and moved into a trailer on Orchard Court, uh-huh. two trailers down from my best friend, Paul Vires. We were living large, <laughs> it was big time living back then. <laughs> so that's the most important thing that ever happened when me, me walking on the campus was uh, going to freshman orientation. So if you're out there listening, just be careful. You never know what freshman orientation might, might bring about for you. <laughs> Man, you're, you're checking all the boxes for, uh, you know, those cliches of Johnson Bridal College and Ring by Spring and Shark Week, I think is what they call it. We walked, we walked three laps around the circle. I actually <laughs> proposed to Johnny at the bell there in front of uh, 
the PW um, building. PW building and marble hallway. We were uh, sitting at the bell literally when I proposed to her. <laughs> I know we're a mess. Uh, mess. No, that's great. I mean, I just probably I'll, that. I mean, obviously that's the most impactful story of all of it, but the friendships that you make for whatever reason, that freshman year, you you're on the dorm, you're up all night. You've got people all over um, the dormitories ripping and running and just making lifelong friends that that first semester probably set the pace for the whole time that I was at Johnson. And I'm thankful for those friends that I met there. Uh, I'm sure some of those names will come up as we talk here through some of these questions, but uh, mm -hmm. academically, I was just thinking about my freshman year, Dr. Black was still alive. And most people I don't know who's listening to your podcast, but they wouldn't know Dr. Black. And I just barely got to know him. Hmm. But back then, I don't know why they thought this was a good idea, but we had 7 a.m. classes for our freshmen. And what a way to uh, introduce them to college life. And my first class was early Hebrew history with Dr. Black and <laughs> his key questions, which, again, people cannot appreciate. So, you know, you had to go to breakfast at 630 it's dark. It's cold. The dew. I remember cobwebs. It was actually kind of picturesque now that I look back on it. And you're going out and it's still dark and it's 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 actually a beautiful thing. But we didn't think so at the time. And uh, we couldn't play cards on campus because Dr. Black was still against playing cards. And he gave you the key questions. He would call row for class. He would go name by name for everybody in his classroom. And then somewhere along the way, he would stop and he would say, oh, 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 Mr. Faust, uh, would you please stand up? And he would have you quote whatever the passage of scripture we were tasked to memorize. And so people were petrified when he would call the roll out of the fear that he would make you stand up before the class and, and recite whatever the passage of scripture was. Uh, and at that point, he also still had us, the college was still using the New American Standard Version Bible. And then yeah, I tell you, I don't know if it was because of Dr. Black's passing. We had some people fill in to finish off the semester, but very significant to the history and life of Johnson. They hired Dr. Reese mm -hmm. right after that. So mm -hmm. we were his first class when he came in. Uh, Dr. Reese was, he taught early, let's see, he taught the history of Israel classes. Mm -hmm. Uh, first and second Kings, which was one of my favorite classes. And somehow I think he had a hand in them switching from the new American standard to the NIV, which huh. was also significant for us. But Dr. Reese uh, was just a stick of dynamite and so creative in his teaching and mm -hmm. people fell in love with him very quick. Mm -hmm. But I enjoyed all my professors for the most part. Uh, Dr. Inyard would just wear you down with Bible life, Bible life, Bible life. The Pistons, you know, he talks about Bible life. Uh, I liked, a lot of people don't remember Brad Burnett, but he was like from Cleveland, Tennessee. And he was only there for a little bit when I was there, but he would say things that resonated with me like, oh, I tell you, it was darker than in a wolf's mouth, I tell you. And he would have those little sayings, and I would be writing them down like, oh, that's good, that's good. Or I tell you, I had splinters under my fingernails from trying to you know, scratch the bottom of the barrel. And and so I just loved his Tennessee roots, and, and uh, I, I enjoyed Brad as a professor. Coach Morgan was alive, and uh, he had been coaching and been at Johnson for all those years. He had retired and Coach Carnes was now the coach and AD of the college. But uh, I tell you what impressed me about Coach Morgan 
is when, even though he wasn't my coach, except for my very first, when we first came, he kind of came back for alumni games and would coach some, but he came to our wedding Hmm. uh, from Tennessee. He came all the way up to Florence, Kentucky for Johnny and I, because I was one of the players and I'm sure because LD was a trustee, but coach Morgan was actually at our wedding when, when we got married, uh, August the 3rd. 1991 so that he got a lot of respect when I saw him show up Lee Richardson Greek was my worst I, I barely scraped by with Greek but I remember him showing up at class and his hands would be black and he would be picking up walnuts along the river he, you know he had a house down the river bank and he'd walk to class and he'd pick up walnuts and he'd show up and his hands would be black from picking up walnuts and he would come uh, to our baseball games a bit of trivia for you, Johnsonites. While we were there, they started back the the baseball team. That we didn't have a baseball team until our class came in, and they started one. One one more bragging right that I have. I pitched the first winning Johnson baseball game that we won. Is that right? I'll brag about it, but then I'll tell the truth. We were playing a school that was not in our division. They were undefeated or something for the year, and they were superior team to us. And uh, we were playing a doubleheader at KCC, and we got beat the first game. And I think John Parkey, I think John was our primary pitcher, and we got beat. And so we go into the second game, and Coach Carnes literally says, okay, who, who wants to pitch? And nobody wanted to pitch, and my parents were there. And I had been practicing pitching for batting practice, and Coach Connor says, Faust, you're up. And I'm like, please, Coach, please don't make me. My parents are here. Don't, don't make me do it. And uh, this is a true story. My pitching was so slow. I was so bad of a pitcher that this team that was superior to us could not get the timing down and hit me. And so, <laughs> you know, like a baseball player goes to slow pitch softball and there's a big adjustment there. That's basically what happened. And I threw like a, I think I threw like a four hitter or something. And we beat them. Uh, it was also the first time Mike Thomas hit a home run. We had our, our first home run of the season. Mike <laughs> Thomas hit during that game. So we were going crazy. It was, I was pitching so well. John Parkey was at shortstop and, and he comes to the mound. And he says, Hey Lee, throw on that knuckleball you've been working on. And so I got the nerve up to throw it for my first time. And I hit the batter in the ankle. That's how bad the pitch was. <laughs> so we won the game, and I've got the ball actually where – or no, Mike Thomas has the game ball where we've all signed it and everything. Probably needs to go in the trophy case. <laughs> that is great. I didn't realize that the baseball had been suspended through the 80s. Oh, yeah, there was no team. But I think all the way back into the 60s it was suspended, late huh. 60s. Wow. Uh, we started it back, Coach Carnes. Coach Carnes was like a little stick of dynamite too. You know, Coach was, of course, one of our favorites. He had a policy in, in his gym classes that he taught. If you could beat him, he'd give you an A and you didn't have to come back. So if you took him, if you took tennis uh -huh. and uh, uh, badminton and ping pong, if you took that class, if you could beat in any of them, you get to just go home and he'd give you an A. But nobody ever beat him. I mean, he would light you up. <laughs> he was he was a competitor. His daughter, Anissa, uh, who later became the AD, I believe, uh, I think she followed him in some some way uh, there in the sports department. She was actually my freshman year. Coach Carnes was not coaching because she was preparing for the Olympics. She was a gymnast and she was qualifying for the Olympics. Hmm. And I remember Coach Carnes coming back and said, well, we learned something. 
he said, practice does not make perfect. Perfect mm. practice makes perfect. And uh, she did not qualify, and that was a heartbreaker for them. But, yeah, so Coach actually didn't coach my freshman first year of basketball. Uh, Jamie Tyler uh, mm-hmm. was there and coached. So, Tell me about the spiritual component to that. Uh, how did your faith grow as you were here? And chapel back then was mandatory, and you had to wear a suit and tie. Uh, I forget which days of the week was suit and tie. Uh, it was assigned seating, so you couldn't even go in and pick your own seat, and it was alphabetized. And so we did not like and enjoy chapel much at all. Praise the Lord, I got married my sophomore year, and so there was a clause that if you were married, you didn't have to go to as many chapels. And then I started a weekend ministry at Sand Branch United Methodist right down from the college, and so I had Wednesday nights, and so I was exempt pretty much from all chapels after my sophomore year, and I would have to go to the library, check out tapes, uh-huh. and then write a little summary on the, on the chapel message. So that's what chapel looked like for me, and I, <laughs> I didn't complain a whole lot about it, but it was something else. Can you identify um, uh, ways in which your commitment to Christ or your relationship with Christ grew through your years here? I used to give Johnson some grief uh, until I had the a realization of their role. At least this is my takeaway. Now I could be totally wrong, but I went to Johnson and I would complain about some of the application and some of the things that I wish we had learned while we were there. And I don't remember who told me, but at one point in time, someone said, Lee, and now this was when I was there and this is my take on it. But they said, we were just giving you the Bible knowledge and the, the learning that you needed, the education and application follows that as you go into ministry. Now that may be totally wrong and contrary to what Johnson uh, would say, (laughs) but that's my takeaway is I'm grateful to Johnson because they taught you the Bible. Hmm. In fact, to this day, when I get a compliment on my sermons, uh, I will tell them you cannot go far wrong if you stick with scriptures. Hmm. And when we have guests come to our church, I'll tell them I'm not the best preacher. I'm not the best leader. This isn't the perfect church, but I'll tell you this, we're going to be true to God's word. And Johnson instilled that in me and I'm grateful for that. And I think the application part came through my internships at Johnson. I did a summer intern every year that I was there. And so that's that Bible life that Dr. Enyard talked about. I, I feel like my education came from the classwork that I did at Johnson and through my internships in the summers, uh, I got more of the application. So I would tell everybody out there, if you're a student, you should you should be doing as many internships as you can. While you, I did one every summer, and I was grateful for them. And uh, I've been having and hosting interns at my church. Uh, as long as I've been preaching and teaching, I've always had interns. One time I had five Johnson students as interns at Lebanon Christian Church all at once. Mm. Every department had an intern from Johnson that summer. We actually had a house. And we just stacked the boys up in, in the house there and, and just let them go hog wild. But uh, I really value the internships, the practical side of what I learned, plus weekend ministry while I was at Johnson. I don't know if that's a big thing now, but we all tried to find a church within a couple of hours of the campus. And we would preach or teach or I was a youth minister. So I was doing children's and youth ministry. And so I, I think from my experience, um, my spiritual faith growing I was getting the Bible knowledge from those great professors. I mean, I remember Brian Lake, and to this day, I still quote him that it's 
uh, easier to give birth to new than resurrect the dead. I have not ever forgot. And Brian Lakin doesn't even remember saying it, but he did. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or Bob Martin rejoicing in the Lord. How you doing? Rejoicing in the Lord. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the education that I got at Johnson, but also how they encourage you to do weekend ministries and have the internship program. So that's kind of how I see my faith growing. The knowledge came from classwork and the practical side came from those internships and weekend ministries. I was growing and didn't know it. Uh, I was just doing what I thought I should do, but those were great, great blessings for sure. Right. So as you came to the end of your academic journey, then uh, how did you discern what was going to be the next step in your journey? From my internships, when I graduated Johnson, my first ministry was a children's ministry at Hazelwood Christian Church. Steve Ranson was the lead preacher, and David Empson, who was my youth minister, was the youth. And they're both KCC guys, bless their hearts. I was there for uh, about three years full-time and then two two internships. And uh, we lived in the Parsonage, and our daughter Jessica was born while we were there. And the preacher's wife, Kim Ranson, was the nurse, actually delivered our daughter. And so that was kind of a neat story. Mm-hmm. Uh, LD was actually up there preaching a revival at Hazelwood when Jessica was born. So he was there. This is perfect timing, I guess. While I was at Hazelwood doing children's ministry, we were going to Camp Allendale and sending all of our kids. And I would usually do two or three weeks of camp every summer. I went, if you told a youth minister today that he was going to do that, they'd look at you like you were crazy. But that was the norm back then. You'd do an elementary one, you'd do a junior high one, you'd do a senior high one, you'd do three weeks of camp. And so while I was doing camp at Camp Allendale, I was starting to get to know all the youth ministers in the area. And so after I was at Hazelwood for about three years, I get a call from Greenwood Christian Church, where now, today, Matt Giebler is preaching, and his son uh, is a Johnson alumni also, and uh, I went to Greenwood Christian Church. They literally were trying to find a youth minister, and they did. They said, who is that guy at camp? You know that crazy guy who'd stay up all hours of the night with the faculty, and, and they didn't even know my name. They just <laughs> like, who is that guy? Yeah, go get him, and they literally called me. And uh, I, I moved from Rock Lane as a children's minister to Greenwood Christian Church, and I was doing junior high and senior high. Uh, Shan Rutherford was the lead pastor at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was there for almost five years, I believe. And that's when Matt Giebler came and followed me there at Greenwood Christian. And the reason I left Greenwood, I wasn't looking to leave, but there was a little country church in Greenwood, Indiana called Rock Lane Christian Church, uh, right down the road from Indian Creek Christian Church. Mm-hmm. And Rob Caton, who's a Johnson alumni, Rob and Patty Caton uh, were preaching at the church, and he was at Johnson with us same time. He played on our we played intramural basketball, and Rob was our sleeper pick on the on the team there with Paul Vires and I. And uh, he kept asking me questions, Lee, what do I need for this and curriculum for that? And would you come do a revival and and teach our children? They didn't have a children's church, and finally, I was under the conviction that I felt like I could do more for the kingdom at Rock Lane Christian Church, they had more needs than Greenwood Christian had. And Greenwood Christian Church was a well-oiled machine. They were probably running 12 or 1300 at the time. And, you know, the truth is they didn't really need me, but I love the church in Greenwood and, and I learned so much. And I felt like the Lord was calling me to take what I had learned from those five years at Greenwood uh, and take that and introduce those things to Rock Lane Christian. 
Hmm. And so I went there and was kind of an associate minister. I did children's and youth and basically anything that Rob didn't want to do ministry teams and sports from rec and did a little bit of everything at Rockland Christian and helped them kind of start ministry. And I was there for about three years when Wayne Smith from South and Christian called me and he said, Faust, I've got a church here in Lexington and you'd be a really good fit for it. They're building 3000 new homes right around the church and you need to come down here. And so that was my call into preaching was from Wayne Smith and, uh, Wayne didn't get many things wrong, but I'd have to say going to Athens, I kind of questioned my, Wayne Smith, what did you get me into? <laughs> and uh, I know now why I was at Athens. I was there for a couple of years for my first preaching experience, and it was a little country church on the edge of Lexington. And uh, I was really too young to be there. It was an older congregation. Sometimes my kids were the only two kids in Sunday school, mm. and I'm sure I drove them crazy with my youthfulness and eager to to grow the church, and I'm sure I drove them crazy. But they loved me, and we loved them. And after a couple of years, we really felt like they needed an older pastor. I wasn't a good fit. And for our kids, we wanted them to have a youth group and children's ministry, and, and Athens did not have much of a program. Like I said, at that time, it was an older congregation. And so I got a call from Barry Weaver, Barry and Rena Weaver, JBC alumni. In fact, we were all at school together. Barry, Rena, Rena's brother was Jeff Williams. We called him Remo. Him and Brian Smith, we called him Einstein, Scott Johnson, all those guys. So Barry Weaver called me and said, hey, Lee, Lebanon Christian Church in Lebanon, Indiana is looking for a preacher. And I told them, I've never heard you preach. But the guy they're describing is you. And so uh, we moved to Lebanon, Indiana, and I followed the infamous Harry Pitts. That's a real person. It's not a legend. It's not a myth. <laughs> Harry and Gail Pitts were at Lebanon Christian Church. And then I went there and preached for 11 years uh, with Barry and Harry and all of the, uh, the staff there. Vanessa Easterday, who was a Brown, Vanessa Brown, she's a Johnson alumni, mm -hmm. was there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, Barry and Rena, and it was just a great church. And that's where we basically, my kids grew up in ministry 11 years there. Um, we loved it. And mm -hmm. uh, we stayed until our kids graduated high school. <laughs> and then uh, when Ben was graduating from high school, getting ready to go to Johnson and into the military, both my kids have done stints in the military through the National Guard. In fact, my daughter is getting ready to be promoted to captain as mm. a combat engineer in the Guard. Wow. But Paul Vyers, lifelong friend, calls me from Abingdon, Virginia, and says, hey, Lee, you know, we'd like to do some type of an executive pastor role. Would you like to come down? And I was just kind of at a, a great place at Lebanon. We just got debt-free. We just burnt the mortgage. We were getting ready to launch a third hour of worship. We were getting ready to call in a campaign team to figure out how to build a, a new worship and get us out of the gym. And I thought, this is a good place for some new young buck to come and kind of take that church to the next whatever God would have for them. And we went to hang out with my best friend, Paul Vyers, and we were there for a few years as the executive pastor when my daughter called and said, hey, Papaw, you're going to be a granddaddy. And uh, so Johnny is Meemaw and I'm Papaw. And we told Paul, we love you, Paul, but we love grandkids more. So we moved back to Kentucky. <laughs> and uh, that's how I got to Jessamine Christian Church, where I am now. We moved, we moved back 
for kids and grandkids and LD and Joyce are retired now. And my parents are now retired and we're close. We're within an hour or so of, of everybody. And uh, Benjamin's the only one we can't kind of reel in and get him back to Kentucky. And I don't think he's going to leave Indiana anytime soon, but um, that's kind of my ministry walk, children's youth, associate, executive pastor. I've been preaching for about 17 years now. You mentioned so many great names and great locations. It's just really I, cool to see. There's that not many people. I'm just telling you, there's not many people who've been more spoiled in ministry and friendships and life than I have. Johnny and I have no complaints about how God's really protected us. And, and I tell people we don't have any of those horror stories in church. And, and, you know, you hear all those stories, like we just don't have them. We've been spared for whatever reason. I, I don't know, but we're, we sure are thankful. Uh, as we were in the process of talking through setting up this interview, when I first talked to you, Lee, this has been fun. I really appreciated getting to know you, your ministry, your journey. Man, so many great stops, so much great information that uh, the church leaders can learn from. Before I let you go, though, today, uh, I do want to ask you two more questions I've been asking of all of our podcast guests. So first one is, what is something that you have learned over the course of this journey that you've been on? that you would really wish to impress upon others or, or make sure others are aware of? That we're lifelong learners, for sure. And I had a list of the resources here that if people have not read, these have been, for me, uh, impressionable on ministry. And I've already referenced the how to be a Christian without being religious. And it's basically a Bible study through the book of Romans written by Franz uh, Rittenauer. But uh, another one for me is why men hate church. I'm very passionate about men's ministry. I don't agree with everything that's said in the book, but why why men hate church uh, really was a paradigm shift for how I did ministry. And I won't explain all of the whys, but you can get the book and figure it out. And then I remember Contagious Christianity. I think now it's called A Walk Across the Room, but they thought they taught me 3D living develop friendship, discover story, and then discern next steps. And that really is called relational evangelism, you know, barbecue first mentality, but you have to develop that friendship with them. And as you discover their story, then you'll get to share your story and his story. Hmm. And then Holy Spirit discernment, you know, discern what's the next steps. But that was a big deal for me. And then uh, uh, my whole discipling ministry and mindset was developed by Dr. Dan Spader, who was at Southeast Christian Church via Moody Bible College. And uh, he teaches a four-chair disciple-making disciple process. For, and the book is called Four-Chair Discipling. And Southeast had their entire staff go through this, and they use it as a pattern looking at the life of Christ and how he made disciples. What are the patterns and the priorities of Jesus? And uh, they use a Holy Spirit power to kind of lead people through that lost to the infant, to the young adult, to the mature believer, that growth process. And uh, that has been most recently uh, the biggest shift in my ministry is using that four chair disciple making process with Dan Spader. Hmm. So those are some of the things. Another more really good one is the art of sacred cow tipping by Brad Powell. Uh, that's a vision mission values book. You know, the, he, he kind of charts the course for you. Your vision is what describes who you want to be, that preferred picture. And the mission directs us, the values drive us, and the strategy designs us. But that's a great book. 
if you don't know how to organize yourself as a church, Vision, Mission, Values, and Strategy, uh, that is a great book to kind of coach you through that. And so these are things I hang my hat on and how I've developed ministry over the years and have been really uh, fruitful uh, for me. So those are great, great resources. Lifelong learners. It doesn't hurt when you have L.D. Campbell as your father-in-law because nobody <laughs> reads more than L.D. Campbell. I can guarantee you that. Yep, I learned from L.D. that uh, you need to read everything ever written by John Stott, I think. is. Uh, <laughs> oh, his. yeah. Yeah, he loves John Stott. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you for those those resources. And, um, you know, on the on the podcast website we'll include those in the little paragraph description well lee thank you so much for that now one more question i'm going to ask you i'm going to give you a moment to think about while i do a commercial imagine if you will that you have 60 seconds to address the world and what i mean is that everybody in the world is listening to the podcast if everybody in the world were listening to the podcast what would lee faust tell them in 60 seconds while you think about your answer, let me remind our listeners that the Sojourner Podcast has been brought to you by the Alumni Association of Johnson University. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more about the Alumni Association at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Lee Faust, a 1993 graduate of Johnson University, Tennessee, currently ministering at Jessamine Christian Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky, a fourth musketeer, if you will, uh, very passionate about that and uh, a lifelong learner himself. Lee, what one minute message would you give to the world? For them to know that they, they're loved and that they matter and we are better together. People were not intended to live in silos, but in community of believers and that you never look more like Jesus, but when you're serving and giving. Mm -hmm. And so I just challenge everyone to live their life to the fullest. And maybe that's measured by just being faithful in worship, intentional in service and teachable in study, you know, just be spiritually fit. And probably one of my favorite passages of scripture right now is from first Thessalonians 2, 8. And it says, and so we cared for you because we loved you so much that we shared not only the gospels of God, but our lives as well. Hmm. And uh, I love that. We shared not only the gospel, but we shared our lives as well, that we are called to live out our faith in fellowship and hmm. in belonging and doing life together. That's probably the best way, doing life together. We loved you so much that we shared not only the gospel, but our very lives. Pray, I pray that for everybody. Wow. Good stuff. Well, Lee, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you know, we've been at this for an hour and a half. I don't think uh, our final product is going to be that long, but uh, <laughs> good luck editing. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, thank you so much for all the good information you've given. And thank you for being my guest today on the Sojourner Podcast. It's my privilege, brother. The Sojourner Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University. Edited by Lena Gavorsky. Podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Music by Loyal Love. Tune in to other Sojourner Podcasts dropping normally weekly on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening.